My name is Julie Kraft and I have bipolar 2 disorder. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I was diagnosed 10 years ago at the age of 36. I was told of my diagnosis and I remember being relieved but also terrified. I know um, the perceptions and the stigma that goes along with it. I started sharing my story about four or five years ago. I decided to come forward and start sharing. It's led to me meeting the most amazing people walking the same path. So we had talked about collaborating. My greatest hope is that others will hear our stories and feel less alone. We can offer insight and give the world a real life living example of what bipolar disorder can look like. This is bipolar. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is Bipolar podcast. I am Shaylee Hugendorn. I am a mom, a wife, an elementary school teacher, and a fierce advocate for mental health. I also live with Bipolar 2 disorder, and I absolutely adore doing this podcast with my co-host... Julie Kraft, and I'm also a passionate advocate living with bipolar 2 disorder. I'm also a wife and a mom of three girls, I'm an author, artist, and I'm just absolutely thrilled at this point in my life to be able to pour myself into advocacy. Um, and most of the time it's recording this podcast. So it is amazing to be here once again. And today we are diving into an amazing topic. Um, the previous episode we recorded, we touched on triggers. Um, and so there are big triggers and little triggers. And so, you know, previously we covered more of the smaller everyday triggers. For me, I, you know, had talked about how driving, um, social situations really brought out my bipolar symptoms. And so today, though, we are going to tackle the bigger life changes, which can not only trigger bipolar episodes or bring out our symptoms, but also can actually trigger bipolar disorder in the first place. And so um, I know there are people, you know, that go through a trauma or a big life change, and that is actually um, the catalyst for their bipolar disorder surfacing. Um, and so as always, we are thrilled when we get feedback from our community. So in order to give a few examples of big life changes that we um, are talking about today, I'm going to go to some of the responses. And so um, the first uh, example of a big life change that could really bring out bipolar symptoms or bipolar disorder, we have an abusive relationship mm. or a divorce. And yeah. so that is, yes, absolutely, definitely a big life change that um, could be really hard for someone with bipolar. Um, we also have a death of a, um, a loved one. Yeah. So those are a couple examples. I also have quitting a long time job unexpectedly. Yeah. So that's another big life change. And I know Shaylee has a few amazing examples as well. Yeah. She's going to share. Yeah, there was one that really stuck out with me that I wanted to start with, because sometimes we think um, they're all negative things. 
But the interesting, tricky part of bipolar is that it can be big life changes that are also super positive. And this, this one stuck out to me, and I'm just actually going to read it. It said, surprisingly enough, falling in love was a massive trigger for a depressive episode. And she talked about how it was a big change in a new relationship and living with a boyfriend. So I, I thought that one was really powerful because sometimes we always think of, of the negative things. Um, another one that people talked about is getting pregnant or having children. Um, we're going to do an entire episode on motherhood and what that looked like for us. So that'll be coming in the future. Someone said the first COVID lockdown triggered hypomania, 100%. Um, we've got changing jobs. Another interesting one that can be the weather. So daylight savings time. We got a few of those. I, I was surprised wow. about that and tried to think about my own experiences. And then house renovations was one. And some someone said living by themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, going off to college. And we hear a lot about bipolar, you know, like you said, starting um, is generally in, in the 20s. And that's usually when big life changes are happening, right? Moving out and such. Just let me take one more look. There was one more that I thought was really powerful. Oh yeah, so big social uh, social events. So like weddings and funerals and things like that. So we today are gonna talk about our experiences with that. And so um, we have been keeping this on the down low for a very, very long time because- Very long time. <laughs> talk about it. So um, Julie has a huge life change that she wants to um, share about. And I'm just, um, I am just actually so proud of her about how she walked through this. And we know it was hard. And I don't even know all the feelings or, um, or if it triggered certain things. So Julie, we would just love to hear how your life has changed the past two years. Well, I have definitely, definitely undergone so many changes, all related to a bigger change. And so our family moved from Canada to the USA, and it was not an easy move. It was not a quick move. It's actually been in the works for about four years. Um, and then just the execution of that move. So I'm thrilled to share a little bit more about that. But this is actually our family's 18th move. Oh my goodness. Like, yes. And, um, you know, this was not unexpected. This was very much planned, but I have found it very difficult on so many levels. And only now am I actually able to talk about it and share, um, you know, for immigration reasons. And so I'm just so thrilled. And so I know over the past, you know, two years, Shaylee, you have been amazing. You've been very accommodating. Um, there have been so many stressful times where I've just had to duck completely off the radar. There were two very different components, um, you know, branches of this move. And one was just the physical move. Yeah. And so, you know, all the things that come along with actually having to physically move from one country to another. And so the biggest factor in there was probably selling our home. Yeah. And for any of our listeners out there, selling a home can be so stressful because of all the unknowns, um, the housing market, um, right down to the daily um, showings. And so oh. I'm not exactly the tidiest person on the planet. So even getting the home ready 
number one to put on the market, but then those sh showings, Shaley, you're on my mind, those Shaley <laughs> showings. Um, we had 38 showings from the time we listed our place to the time it sold. And every single time you would think I would be more organized or more prepared. I wasn't, I felt like I was thrown into a tailspin. Um, and then you just hold your breath every time for any feedback from the realtor. And, you know, one time I was so frazzled that I basically, you know, mopped myself out of our place and ran down to the parkade, hopped in the car, and usually have to be out 45 minutes to an hour. I looked down and I'm wearing my slippers. <laughs> oh. So that just goes to show the state of mind that I was in. We also had an offer fall through. And, you know, yeah, for anyone out there selling a home, every single offer that comes in, you're so hopeful. You think that part of the journey is over. And so we had jumped through so many hoops to the point where, I think there was only one more, you know, box to check off before the sale was final. And I just remember walking around Stanley Park with my husband. I was already dreaming, you know, about this part of the move being over and what our next home would look like and, you know, what couch I might want to get. And his phone rang and I knew it was the realtor. And I just heard him say, are you telling me the deal is about to fall through? Now, in that moment, even though I had my health, you know, there were so many other parts of my life that were in order. It felt like my world had come crashing down. The one thing, the one, you know, hurdle, one of the biggest hurdles that I thought we needed to get over had just fallen. So that part of the move was really difficult. You know um, what? Can I interject here? Absolutely. You're going to have to cut me off because I could talk for Money. No worries. No worries. So you don't know this, but um, we actually had kind of a similar thing happen. I had a townhouse, our first place, and my daughters were three and five. And we were trying to sell it. And it was the market had literally crashed a bit just before we were going to sell. And um, so it took eight months and I like trying to clean and it was a 900 square foot place so trying to clean with the littles yeah and like I honestly it would take me like three days to recover until the next showing and and it was I think it came out with we know this is stressful for a regular person but with bipolar it came out in anger like I was not I had to really keep myself in check because I was not kind. And especially like yeah. the kids, like, don't touch that. No, no. Like they didn't understand and they were, they were so little. And I think, um, yeah, I think what people think is, oh yeah, it's stressful for anyone, but this yeah. can take us out for days. So when that happened to you, when that fell through, tell me because I know you know we, we tell everyone we're in our treatment we are medicated we are fairly uh you know I don't want to say stable because I don't always feel like that but what did that look like for you um you know physically and emotionally the days after that fell through well Shaley it <laughs> happened about three days before my daughter's wedding so oh, I it just felt like everything at once. So there I was running to the rehearsal dinner, trying to do decor. And that was the one thing that I thought, you know, I could literally put behind us. And so it felt like, you know, everything came crashing down. We went 
back to square one. We needed to find a new buyer. It meant in my mind, more showings. It meant our timeline was pushed further behind. It just, and it's really hard sometimes to find steady ground when something like that happens. Yeah. You know, I always try to find the silver lining and there really wasn't one. I mean, now in hindsight, I can see that, you know, if the move had been accelerated, if that deal had gone through, you know, probably wouldn't have found the house we're in now. Easy though, in hindsight, not so easy in the moment. And like you said, um, just the cleaning aspect, when you're not a tidy, clean person, um, I just remember thinking, a showing would end, we'd get back into the house and I wouldn't want to cook. I wouldn't want to get into my bed. I wouldn't want to take a shower because then the glass would need to be Windex. So yes, it's very stressful no matter who you are, but I think we, everything we feel amplified and we feel it deeper yeah. and it's just, so I think these changes are hard for anyone, but for us, it's times a million Shaylee, I would love to know yeah. about, you know, any moves that you've had or potential moves. And if those have been hard for you or exciting and hard, because I know oftentimes we talk about the both and, you know, yes. and yes. they can, we can feel both things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting how a lot of our stories overlap. Mine was a little bit different. So if you've heard in our past episodes, when I got first diagnosed, so I, um, I went to emergency and then I went to this outpatient in between stay place. It's called Crest. And it wasn't a psych ward and I could go in it and I was trying to switch off medication just for some background. If you want to hear about that, go back to our way beginning episodes. But um, I, when I went in there, we still, we lived in that townhouse I was just talking about. And I'm like the kid person. And when you live in a townhouse complex, like you have, it doesn't feel like much privacy, right? Even your backyards are connected and you don't, we had one common um, grass space and there was a bunch of us with kids at the same age. So we'd meet there every day. And it was this like beautiful community. However, it was so amazing. Like kids came in and out of my house and it was a lot. Um, there were some parents that like, left their children because they knew that I was good with children and built in daycare yeah and when I was stable that was okay but when this was ramping up it it was overwhelming to me and I didn't want to be alone so I was still always there but I also uh needed to be alone but didn't know it and so it was just go, go, go. But you also feel like you're in a fishbowl, right? Like I feel like privacy, even though you're in your whole house, I just didn't. And I also, um, I also make up stories in my head when I'm anxious. So I felt, um, you know, really, really judged. Meanwhile, no one was probably looking like I just felt like, you know, if I didn't come out, I would offend people. I, if, you know, to play or whatever, I, I, was I getting my kids out enough? There was just all this that would build up. So, hard. so, and then on top of that, I go to the hospital, I go to this place, I get my diagnosis, right? So I'm already feeling these things before, but then they're amplified. So then I got fixated on something because it was real fixated on moving and getting out of there. Cause I was convinced that um, staying there was the reason that, uh, that all this was happening. I hadn't quite grappled and accepted my 
um, bipolar diagnosis. So I needed an explanation. You know how humans, we need yeah. an explanation. So I, it was, we are moving. So when I got out, um, it, we, where I stayed was in this community called New Westminster. And it's one of the first communities in, um, in the lower mainland that some people uh, came to. Anyways, it's old is what I'm saying old character homes and what it. I would do is I would pace and walk that whole time I was there I was pace and walk through these neighborhoods so one I was convinced we needed to move there and then two I got in my head um, right after that I also wanted to um, move to Bowen Island so this is a small island that you have to get to a ferry to in the winter there's probably not a lot of social stuff there's not a lot of stores you know about shopping and I got fixated on these two places. And this would have been like, I don't think these would have been good choices. But I also think if my husband was like, didn't entertain it at all, I would have perhaps gotten worse, right? So yeah. he even went to Bowen Island and looked at places with me, looked in New West, which would have uprooted us from all our community here, which we've built. And you know, I don't have family here. So our chosen family like just to move completely away from them to this island or to this other neighborhood um would have been a terrible choice right but i was stuck in this but the good thing was and i was talking about my husband with my husband and that it took so long to sell that i settled right and realized like we need to stay somewhat close in the area. So it was a beautiful thing because it was a catalyst to the move that we absolutely needed. We were bursting yeah. at the steams in this little place, but also it could have been catastrophic yeah. if I, um, you know, jumped on it right away when I was in the beginning of, of getting sick. So that's my, that's yeah. my moving story. So let's continue with yours because you are still trying to sell this house. Yeah. Everything's got pushed back. You don't even know if this dream of moving to a different country has, is going to happen. Where are you at? Yeah. Well, the home finally sold. <laughs> mm -hmm. We were just so relieved, but that also kicked, you know, part D E F G and H of our plan into motion. And, you know, I, I mentioned we've had 18 different moves. Some of them have been, you know, a lot smaller than others, but in 2012, our family moved abroad to Germany, but we didn't sell our home. We kept it back in Canada and I knew the move was temporary. So I think knowing this move um, was not tied to a career um, and it was going to be more permanent. I think as exciting as that was, um, it was also terrifying because yes, what if I landed, you know, in our new spot and I didn't like it or didn't sell, settle yeah. in. And, you know, we were actually our two, my two adult daughters decided to stay up in Vancouver, Canada. Right. So the thought, this was the first move that was going to separate our family. And even though my one daughter was now married and my other one, you know, is going to school up there and she was out living on her own. And so she definitely had the choice to come, um, you know, and she made the choice to stay up in Canada, even knowing that as a mom, Oh and goodness. knowing our third daughter was coming with us and how much she would miss her sisters, um, you know, that was really, really hard. But we, you know, moved forward with that. 
And, you know, I just kept saying, um, we're going to just take this, you know, one step at a time, but I will go into probably the most stressful part of our move was my immigration. And so my husband is an American citizen. My kids are dual. I was the odd man out and, you know, needed to apply for a green card. Everything was left to the timing of COVID. And so what should have taken six to seven months took two years. Oh my goodness. I had the stress of not knowing if my husband would move without me, if my youngest daughter would need to set up life in a new country without me. Um, it was so stressful. It's probably on my top five, you know, most difficult things that I just had to let it go. And I just kept thinking, is my interview date, which by the way, I needed to fly to Montreal for. It's the only place they will do interviews in Canada. During so, COVID, during COVID. During COVID. Um, I just thought, is my interview, which you never want to pass up that date, is that going to fall on my daughter's wedding day? Is that yeah. going to fall, you know, on Christmas around? So, I mean, ah, I could just scream the, the amount of tears that I cried and nights that I laid awake. And, you know, I am a woman of faith and I do trust that there is a plan and it's all going to work out. But I still had my moments of doubting and, right. you know, is this even what we're supposed to be doing? Because yeah. it's yeah. not happening. Well, I am thrilled to report that last fall. Um, I was able to move down with my family in January of 2021 on a visitor visa. So I was very legal down here, but not permanently down here, knowing that eventually my interview date would come. So it came, I flew up to Canada, I needed to be there for a total of five weeks while I got medical exams done, made my way across Vancouver to Montreal, um, went to my interview. So not only you have, you know, clearly all of the things you just listed, yeah. but there's also not just the big fear of not being accepted, um, you know, for all the various reasons. Yeah. You also are public with, as a mental health advocate, you have written two books. Yes, you're, I have. <laughs> you're on a podcast called This is bipolar, right? We know the stigma uh, around that. We know that there's stigma around that when you try to get insurance. We know that it's still very, very much behind. And so talk to us about that added fear and the thoughts running through your head about that and how that affected you. Yeah, it was a very real so they are very thorough with the process. And so as part of my application, I did have to give any social media handles, any websites, um, you know, my, my job. And so it was, it was all out there. And yes, that was very much a fear of mine. Um, if you've listened to any earlier episodes about, you know, um, stigma and what actually propelled me to come forward as an advocate. It was um, an experience with an insurance agent who declined me insurance because of my bipolar and then made some very harmful comments, um, you know, about bipolar. So I've got that experience in my mind. And, you know, part, part of the experience of getting your green card is a medical exam in which I had to divulge um, my bipolar diagnosis. Oh my goodness. And honestly, oh my goodness. Honestly, I didn't think I was fearful, but I thought, you know, we've come far enough and I really 
don't think this will be an issue, but I did have to answer questions, you know, have you ever, you know, been violent? Have you ever, all these questions. So then I thought, oh my goodness, is this really in 2021, is this going to be an issue? And so when I went for my medical exam, there's always that gulp, even if it's to a doctor, when you divulge that you have bipolar, um, you know, there's those seconds where you're just, you know, did, did everything they thought about me now shift knowing that I have this diagnosis. And he did actually say, it's very important that you let them know that you are taking medication and not drugs and that you are very much in a stable place. And I just wanted to cry because I thought on top of everything now, I, I need to worry about this diagnosis. And as I step up for my interview, am I in the back of my mind going to be thinking, you know, I need to show them that I'm safe. I'm stable. I'm a good person, you know, let me into the country. That is something that I want neurotypical or people without mental illness to really understand. I think that that really illustrates stigma because there's so much to worry about, even if you don't have a mental illness, but yeah. this is the stigma that we have to monitor ourselves yeah. in all types of situations. And you see us out here as advocates and really open and we're like, yeah, tell, you know, tell yeah. everyone and it's, you know, it's going to be okay. And if they don't understand, stand in your truth. But the fact is this can actually like that could have and here I go with my catastrophic thing. You like really yeah. ruin the plan. The whole plan would be ruined. Like you can oh. hear my voice right now. And also, um, you know, we're, you know, we are always thinking like, oh, did that sound too dramatic? Oh, yeah. did that? And, and that's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Right? Exhausting. And I think that you just really, um, really brought that through. Yeah. through what you were talking about. And it just reminded me that policing almost of ourselves. Yeah. It, just it just sometimes feels so unfair I think about oh well if my husband said that or my friend said that and the person didn't you know know yeah. that uh they didn't have a mental illness they're not going to think anything but it's someone that knows I have a mental illness yeah. almost takes everything I say through a different lens so oh, anyway yeah and, but I just wanted and to the fear them. and the fear is there every time I pick up a prescription Yes. Um, you know, even though these are pharmacists, um, they shouldn't be judging me. I feel like I need to put on a business suit and step up and, you right. know, and when I'm speaking to doctors and I just 10 minutes before, you know, we started recording was filling out a medical intake form because I can finally set up with a doctor and there it went, you know, family history and any medications and it's all out there. And all I can think of as I press submit is the secretary or the doctor reading it. And, you know, that first time I go in for my appointment, I'm going to, you know, is the doctor going to really be sitting there trying to assess if I'm stable and yeah, you know, I'm coming up on 12 years. I think you are too, since our yeah. diagnosis and just for anyone out there feeling those same feelings, we still yeah. feel them. And oh. I think they're completely normal. And I mean, my dream is that one day, we won't have to feel that way, but for now, I definitely um, do feel that way. So fast forward, I have now gotten myself to Montreal. I dressed to the nines as a businesswoman because I thought if any part of this could be affected by having bipolar, I'm going to do everything in my power to step up, you know, in my interview and show myself 
as a worthy, stable person. And so um, it was very intimidating, very intimidating. But my number finally got called and I thought, oh my goodness, I've been waiting two years for this. It all rides on this moment, who the agent is. And so he did ask me how I met my husband, how you know quickly we got married. And so that was fun to be able to say that, you know, I met him because I was dating his best friend. There must be an episode <laughs> coming about that. He asked if they're, you know, still friends to this day. And then um, he just said, well, what do you do? And I thought, here we go. You've got to just own it, girl. So I said, well, gulp. Um, I'm an author and an advocate. And I said, you know, I've actually written two books about mental health. And he said, really? Well, tell me about them. And I thought, oh, here we really go. So I said, well, one's a mental health um, memoir geared for adults, one's geared for children, spread the conversation, get it started around mental health, and um, felt like 500 years passed, and he just grabbed his stamp, and he said, that's fantastic. I'm issuing your visa. I'll never forget that moment, yeah. and I couldn't get out of there fast enough to just start texting. And, start you know, the call. My, start the call. Tell my lawyer, you know, this is what he asked because I could hear other interviews behind me and they were, I mean, they were going all different directions and some of them weren't going so well. And so just complete relief. And yes, I'm going to take it as a small win or maybe a big win for um, advocating absolutely anywhere in the world. But to have what are the chances, right? Like, what are the chances? We hope that that happens with all uh, yes. know, people that experience that. Like, but honestly, I think yeah. that that I haven't ever heard a, a story like that. So yeah, it's so encouraging because clearly that person uh, understood. Yeah. And when I was having my medical, the doctor did say it's going to come down to the border agent that you get and whether they have an understanding of mental health or whether they're going to be affected by the stigma that's out there and see bipolar two disorder and immediately, you know, cut to those images that are out circulating, um, you know, of those extreme um, cases that are not always treated, you know, Um And so I was just so relieved. And so this was only this past fall, I officially crossed the border, um, you know, as a permanent resident alien um, in November. And, you know, I had been away from my um, husband and daughter for almost five weeks at that point. And when I went through the border at Vancouver airport, they were so lovely, welcomed me to the USA. And I said, can I cry now? (laughs) And she said, yes, you can be emotional. And my husband, I, you know, called him and I said, I'm through. And he said, you have permission to just sit somewhere and cry. And I think it was, it was tears of relief, tears of happiness, just the feeling that I, you know, finally feel like I, you know, can settle in down here. And so I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm down in Arizona. So I'm getting used to the scorching temperatures. Um, it does get very hot, but very, very excited, um, you know, to be down here. But, you know, it wasn't yeah. easy, but it was worth it. But, um, Yes, I am going to stop talking now and Shayla, give you the opportunity to share any more insights about, you know, big changes and big moves um, in your life. 
Yeah. Before I do that, I want to say, so I got to see Julie when she came yes. here to Vancouver. It was so awesome because a lot of you don't believe us, but we've only actually been together in person. <laughs> three twice. times. Three, three times. I forgot about one, three yeah. times. And so, it's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're like, yes, we're very stereotypical, hypomanic <laughs> when we're together. Yeah. But, um, I remember because I walked this journey with Julie, I remember seeing her, we were in white spot, we were having breakfast together and I actually could physically see the difference in her. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but you just felt lighter. Um, I could see more hope in your eyes and it was uh, such such a beautiful thing to see. So I absolutely saw, like literally saw physical um, changes in you and even how you talked about things. And um, yeah, that was a lot of years. And uh, I wonder if you didn't have your treatment plan and we're pro-medication, you do you, but we are pro-medication. And um, I'm so grateful you had that because I'm so curious about what that might've or could have looked like. And I mean, I'll be honest, I just now feel like I'm, you know, coming out of a darker um, period of my life and social media, I've been very quiet. And so now, thank goodness there's sunshine here, but I, I literally feel like you had described, you know, lighter and this weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Um, yeah. 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 And I, I was thinking um, about that as well, just weather changes and that's a big one for me as well I I'm curious about I always think because I would love to move where there is somewhere sunny I I I wonder how that would affect me but I'll talk about some other um, big changes but thank you for sharing that with us one of the things that I wanted to talk about really quick is that I think stopped my diagnosis um, from being uh, recognized sooner is that a lot of these things we talked about is change um, and big changes. It doesn't mean that it always affects us negatively. We think a lot of times it will throw us into a depression, but I think what people less understand is that the mania that the good ones or even the bad ones can throw us into. And um, I thrive uh, with spontaneity and I am, um, I am an extrovert to the nth degree, right? So I don't have social anxiety. So I'd see all those symptoms and I wouldn't, I didn't feel like I fit. And so I think it's really important to put that out there for others that don't think they fit in that box because I don't think it's all encompassing of all experiences. Um, And like I, I can a friend could call me and be like, Hey, you want to go out in an hour and I'm free or to concert or whatever that might throw what I've talked to a lot of people with the bipolar anxiety that would no way they'd have to plan like this would throw them off. Right. Yeah. Right. And you say like, you look at um, the menu and all of those things. I don't need to do that. I might be a little nervous about where I need to park, but um, besides that, I, I, I love those kinds of things. And so I see myself as a spot because I'm mostly spontaneous and uh, I can be like that. But again, it's a mood disorder. So it depends if I'm what I'm into. It's very hard to get out of the house um, when I'm depressed, but I still always do because um, it's harder to, for me to be with my sad thoughts than it is to be out even though I'm kind of numb and not enjoying things so I just wanted to put that out there so if you're wondering no I can't be bipolar because of this that is not entirely true 
<laughs> so yeah. you don't have to relate to all the symptoms. So one of mine um, in that, you know how we like to see ourselves as things. So you could probably see that I'm like, sound proud of myself that I'm spontaneous and all that things. So it took me a long time to recognize that I'm actually an anxious traveler. And not within the country. So I haven't traveled outside of the country very much. Um, we didn't have a lot of money when I was a, a kid. And all my parents' family lived in Ontario. We lived in BC. So every family vacation we had, we went to Ontario. Very cool. I've seen most of the country before Ontario, between BC and Ontario. So I haven't been out of the country that often. And in fact, I still can count on my on my hands. And so when I go to a completely different country and I'm trying to think, I think my first one was our honeymoon when we went to um, Jamaica. I, for someone that plans everything and like, I'm the planner of the house. I'm my husband's so easy going. I tell him usually what we're going to do on weekends. Of course he has input, but it's just been my thing. It comes to something like that. I freeze. I can't even plan it. I tell him things I'd be disappointed if we didn't do, but he has to. It's like, I freeze. We're planning to go to Europe someday. <gasps> it was supposed to be, but someday soon. And the thought of even planning it, or even we went to Mexico and he had to plan the entire thing. And it took me a long time to admit it because I felt like it took away from this person I thought I was. But I remember just this relief of being like, oh yeah, I'm an anxious traveler. Like, I barely, for someone that loves to talk to anybody, I'm afraid, I was afraid to order because I didn't want to say the wrong thing or my husband tried some Spanish words or tried to be, but I didn't want to look like lame tourists and I get <laughs> so self-conscious, which I'm not generally super self-conscious. And so traveling and out of the country is a huge, huge, huge thing for me. Um, and then another big giant change and this, even when stable, uh, I didn't realize how, um, how much it affected me until I was out of it. We had two major floods two years in a row. And I'm talking like our entire basement ruined um, and just, just destroyed and everything. We had a basement suite. So all of my stuff we kept in the garage. For example, I didn't have a lot of storage and I have a lot of clothes. So like all my winter stuff was in there and then summer like I can't even tell you how much stuff was destroyed so and sorry. the first time I came home um and it all happened and so that's dealing with insurance that's having people come in and out of my house for renovations also I often felt like they didn't listen to me as well as they did to my husband even though I was in charge of all the renovations I had um many men come in that didn't listen to me um, and so that was uh, triggering and then to not feel safe in your safe place. Yeah. And that year in, um, in Vancouver, we, those two years that it happened, we had the most rainfall warnings that we've had as long oh. as I've been here. So I would pace. And the first time they told us, this is a one in a 100 year thing, right? It's a freak, uh, whether it was, it came down so hard for 20 minutes. Our house was the lowest oh. on the street. Yaddy, yaddy. So I felt like, okay, this is a one-time thing and I, 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 we need to get through it and it drags on and on, right? So then next year, within a week of that same time, happened no. again, 
I'm home. I am watching it pour into my house. I have some sandbags. I have my big hunter boots on. It's coming over. I've called the fire people. I've called like, can you not, I know that you put, you usually give water. Can you suck it out? Like <laughs> watching it happen and being able oh. to do nothing about it. I almost, we talk about um, sometimes with bipolar disassociating and I, it was like, I had to almost leave yeah. my body because I didn't even know what was happening. And my husband was out of town and I just couldn't believe it was happening again. And then yeah. knowing I had to go through that again and that my house wasn't safe and that it was just going to keep happening. And what if I can't sell? Like you have to tell people yeah. Yeah. when your house floods, what if I, and I was just like, I need out. And so those four months, because when it's insurance, they go at their own pace. So it would like, they wouldn't show up for two weeks and then show up and everywhere in Vancouver flooded. So it took forever. And I would pace at the window. I, even though I knew I needed to sleep, it was almost impossible. I was in uh, like, I literally thought our life was ruined I thought we could go, what if we can't sell this house and we go into bankruptcy or what if I have to do this forever? And yes, I did use coping mechanisms and I got through it. And I just, so many people said to me, you know, there must be a reason or, you know, there's going to be something, but that wasn't how that would have been made. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but um, just so people know, it's actually not, not helpful because no. I it and I felt like it invalidated and this, yeah. So then I actually withdrew a bit and it was just yeah. took over my thought life. And um, I, even to this date, we have a, we're in the same neighborhood. We have a better house. We have all those things, but I actually refuse to say that yeah. it all worked out in the end, because if you told me um, that I wouldn't have this, but didn't have to go through that, that was two years of my yeah of my life. And I can say, yes, absolutely. You know, uh, it worked out that yeah. those catastrophic things didn't happen, but I am not the type of person. And you know, this, that will say that, um, you know, if you could take it away, I would take it away. And yeah. this, because it was two years of my life. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I just couldn't get out of it. I couldn't, I had a hard time talking about anything else. And then I didn't want to hang out with my friends as much because I felt like it's all I could talk about and that I would be a downer. And everybody was like, oh, it must be so fun shopping. And at first it was fun replacing everything, but it was lonely. Not everybody, like yeah. nobody has that kind of money to go shopping all the time. So I was alone and you have to do it in a certain, it took all the joy from it. It was the first time in my life that I was like, I don't want to shop anymore. Yeah. And then I, and I'm going to use this word because I believe it applies because it's mental illness, but I was obsessed with replacing everything because I, with money, I didn't want them to be, give me 30% because the clothes were older. I was going to replace. And in fact, they couldn't believe how much I re actually replaced because I refused. I knew our insurance was going to go up and I refused to be ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was probably one of my, um, um, biggest ones. Yeah. And I want to tell you a bunch more of the coping mechanisms, but we're actually yeah. going to, yeah. um, do that in the next episode. And same with Julie, cause yeah. you might be like, well, great. You guys, you told me <laughs> things, but now we're like all yeah. worried with you. What do we do? And we have, yeah. um, a bunch of those, uh, um, that we're going to talk about and share from our community because we're yeah. geniuses. You people, 
are so great. I know. <laughs> and if you can't wait until then, because we know that our, our podcasts come out, um, you know, when they come out. Yeah. We, we tell people all the time we would love to be the every second Tuesday kind of people, but we know that having those constraints with our bipolar just doesn't work. We have to... Yeah put them out when they go out and we try and do two a month. So if you're someone that's on the edge of your seat and wanting strategies, we actually have a whole post and I'm going to keep on repeating that one so that we have um, a more opportunity to tell each other, but there's one and you'll see it. It says change is hard. And a lot of you have given really cool um, strategies there and we're going to share those. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming along this journey with us. A lot of times um, we always feel like we need to give the answers or we're not experts or perhaps we should read all about what the therapists are saying, but we're here just to tell you our lived experience and um, tell you that you're not alone and also very <laughs> selfishly, this is our <laughs> therapy telling it. And yeah. Julie, how do you feel that it's, it's out there? Ah, relief. And, you know, I'm just so thankful, you know, that you were so interested and that I've now been able to share um, a little bit about, you know, this huge part of my life that I have lived through. And, you know, like Shaylee said, we are both here. We've come out the other side, whether it's been um, a flood, a desire to move to a secluded island or um, a hop across a border. Thank you so much for tuning in and, this is Bipolar. This is Bipolar. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. You can find previous as well as future episodes on YouTube for the video version. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. And we spend most of our time where you can join our community and interact on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. Another thing that's really, really helpful if you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. See you next time. Thank you.